Welcome to the Waste Not What Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews, news and tips to rebuild the relationship between people and the planet the way nature intended by revitalizing our natural resources, minimizing waste and maximizing human potential. I trust you'll discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future so you can cultivate and transform them to suit your own lifestyle in order for us to collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. You'll find all the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philipparos.com. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to share far and wide. Welcome to episode two in the second season of the Waste Not Want Not podcast series. Wow, the shift in energy this month is palpable. The winds of change are here, with planetary shifts providing the promise of new beginnings and the energy to embrace the powerful potential of our true essence. All so aptly aligned for my guest today, Jonathan Hammond, a shamanic practitioner who shares the wisdom of the shaman's mind to empower us to claim our inner authority and call our own shots as opposed to being directed to follow conventional culture and do what others deem to be in our best interest. The time is ripe as we enter an era where old structures are being destroyed. It's a time of turmoil with worldwide chaos and debris from a shitstorm of stories created to segregate society. All of which gives us the opportunity to question the narrative and create a new story and a new chapter for the world we want to be part of. One such wave kicked off a few days ago when a 40-year-old treaty for the high seas was finally updated after a decade of negotiations. A necessary addition if we are to achieve the global goal of protecting 30% of the world's oceans. It increases the area of the sea where fishing is limited and the routes of shipping lanes and exploration activities like deep sea mining are restricted. I heard oceanographer and marine biologist Sylvia Earle make a great analogy between the ocean and our hearts the other day, pointing out the fact that the sea is our lifeline and if we were looking to support a person, we'd go all out to provide 100% protection. So why are we settling for just 30% of the ocean? Food for thought, hey? Life is a process, so let's celebrate the progress and keep playing our part to create a world we want to see. Let's now dive into the still waters below the storm with my guest Jonathan Hammond, author, holistic healer, spiritual growth counsellor and shamanic practitioner, who provides a contemporary approach to the wisdom he's acquired from indigenous cultures to help us connect to the essence of our true nature. Welcome to the show, Jonathan, and lots of aroha from New Zealand. Aloha from Maui. It's really great to be here. Thank you, Philippa. The reason I contacted you was I just felt inspired to after listening to an interview you gave to Alex on the Next Soul Level, because you're so grounded and you're so multifaceted in your spiritual counseling and shamanic practitioner aspects of your life that you make it easy for people to understand today because spiritualism and that kind of thing all seems a bit out there and woo-woo to some people even now, although there are more people awake. But the essence of the podcast is to create awareness about our connection to nature and our true nature. And you just spoke volumes the way that you portrayed it and that one. So I'd really like to dive into one aspect of your work, which is as a shamanic practitioner. And I think it's important Mm -hmm. after a conversation I had this morning with a girlfriend about what actually is shamanism and a shaman because a lot of people think it has a religious connotation to it. No, not a religious connotation, definitely a spiritual connotation. But the shaman is a word that has been borrowed from the Tungusic people of Siberia. It's now been universalized to mean a healer. A healer of what? A healer of relationships. The relationship we have between our mind and our body. The relationship we have between ourselves and others. The relationships uh, others have with others. And the relationship that everyone has with the planet. And so um, a shaman is someone who helps people with those relationships and looks to nature 
to as a, as a template to teach us about ourselves. So the original shamans, one of the things they were, they were very wise people, uh, and they realized very early on that we humans have the unique ability, unlike any other being of nature to live in a mentally constructed world away from the here and now of what is true and present. And so the shamans were the ones who developed the shamanic journey to say, we as humans have the ability to start lying, to start becoming something that we're not. Whereas all the other beings in nature, the shark only wants to be the shark, the daisy only wants to be the daisy, the palm tree only wants to be a palm tree. But for us, we can take on these funny ideas and move away from what the mother, what the earth intended us to be through these mentally constructed formations that we can have. And so the shaman was the one who journeyed to nature to keep, essentially keep us in line, uh, to keep us in line and to keep us connected with uh, the organic essence that we individually are. And so shamanism now, more than anything else, is about the re-coming together between humans and the planet. We have separated ourselves from nature, and we have separated ourselves, from, and we have created dominion over nature, the very thing that we need to, to sustain ourselves and to survive. And so shamanism now, is, more than anything else, is about take our cue from nature, be like nature, because nature exemplifies everything that we would need to know about how to be the best people, because nature exemplifies interconnectivity, and if it exemplifies interconnectivity, that provides a natural morality for us to all be a part of, which is that we are all part of the one, and to reconnect and honor where we live, and that we cannot live without her, without the earth. So that's essentially shamanism. Fascinating you say that because one of my big loves is the ocean because my great-great-great-grandfather discovered the North Magnetic Pole and the Ross Sea in Antarctica. And wow. you make a great analogy that we are like waves of the ocean because we are a part of it. It cannot be separated. And the cycle of the ocean, and I talk a lot about Antarctica and it's like, well, the Antarctic waters actually circumnavigate the earth it doesn't matter where you are in the world whatever happens there and it's the cyclic nature of nature itself that we need to embrace more and as you say i think the indoctrination we have been separated so we've got no idea my work as a mentor is helping people find their true essence because they're like lost souls we don't know what it is because we're steered towards a certain way and i I love the shamanic principles of which there are seven. And I really wanted to start at seventh one, which is effectiveness is the measure of truth. Because I think that gives people permission to be who they are. Could you expand on it? Yeah. So there are seven principles that actually come from Polynesia. Uh, they're from an esoteric philosophy called Huna. And these particular translations come from my teacher, Serge Kahili King, who's really an amazing, amazing shamanic teacher. Uh, and so there's seven ideas that if you can merge your mind with them, they really do enter you into thinking shamanically. Yeah. And so this, the seventh principle comes from the Hawaiian word pono, and the translation is effectiveness is the measure of truth. So there is no universal truth. The only universal truth is that everything is. Everything else is just made up. And so what it's really getting at is that what is effective, what is true, is what is true for you, what is effective for you. Mm -hmm. And at this time, this particular time on the planet, we're being inundated with what to think and what to believe and who's on the right side and who's on the wrong side. The one thing that the architects of this social reality have not figured out how to do is to override our gut and to override our instinctual nature. And they can try, and they do. But if we can recognize that, just to go to the sixth principle, all power comes from within, which says that the power to create your life comes from within you. Mm. And it's true if it works for you. So it's a real sense of putting the, the responsibility and the power and the authority back toward the self and away from the collective that we are all expected to assimilate to. And of course, the collective is very ill. So to assimilate yeah. to a culture that is ill is undermining our individual journey. That's what that principle is getting at. I also think it gives impetus to get people to start to think for themselves because people who are whinging and whining about the way things are happening, 
And there's an expectation that someone or a body organization outside of themselves will make it right for them, as opposed to looking at the root cause of what it is and what shift you can make yourself. I mean, last year I did 50 interviews and the most popular quote at the end of it was, be the change you want to see in the world. And like your own journey, everything is incremental, isn't it? The curiosity has been knocked out of us, as you said right at the beginning, the the expression of oneself comes from within and we need to be curious about where we're going and what's happening to us, that we do have the power to change it. Yeah, you know, Carl Jung talked about, but we all yearn for what he called the paradise of childhood, which was this idyllic childhood that none of us got, essentially, you know, and that as we grow older, we as children are still looking for that perfect parent. And the people who are orchestrating the matrix reality, the consensus reality, the political reality, the financial reality, the healthcare reality, all of that reality, they are perfectly happy to be our parents. And what that means is they actually want us enslaved to them. They want us assimilated to them. They want us to not actually see that they do not have our best interest at heart that they do not love us. They don't want us to see that. And so all these adult children are going around going, I need a parent. And the architects of reality, largely narcissistic and sociopathic ones, are saying, I'll be your parent. And it's our job to see that and live alongside it because we can't escape it, live alongside it, but follow our own inner directives, our own truth, our own authority. And that's what keeps us safe. And that's what keeps us clean from being a part of a culture that is, like I said, so ill, so sick, so narcissistic. The big thing for me is where all this do-gooding parenting of us is to help us become someone and become successful when we were born complete and pure and full of potential. And I think that's something that people really forget. Not only do they forget it, and I would say it it is probably the biggest heartbreak of being human, which is that the journey towards humanity is just to remember what we originally were, which was a perfect spark of the divine that we all were. And I would even go so far as to say is that there is a vested interest in the architects of reality to have us not know that about ourselves, which corresponds with the organized religions that talk about original sin, that we come in bad and we are to be redeemed. And that, of course, is the exact opposite. What is so important for us each to realize is that if the universe did not need us, we would not be here. And that everything in the universe, every single atom in the universe is part of an intelligent design beyond what we can fathom. And I'm speaking, this is a nice poetic idea. This is quantum science, which means that of us are supposed to be here and we have an individual part to play in the entire cosmos. And to water that down and be something less than what we are, or to uh, to not invest in gifts, or to live a, a life that is filled with shame, or uh, low self-esteem, or uh, those sort of things, undermine our individual role that we play, Yeah, and that we are all supposed to. Yeah. Absolutely. So can you go into some of the other principles? You've touched on six and seven about the power comes from in. Sure. I guess the first one is foundational really to everything. And that principle is a Hawaiian word called Ike. And the translation is that the world is what you think it is. So that can sound like glass half empty, glass half full. Like my experience of the world is based on how I think about it. But no, that's not what it's saying. It is saying that, but it's also saying that the world itself, that reality itself creates itself based on what you're thinking. So this is about that we are actually co-creating reality, that onto reality, we project what it is that we are thinking about, and that reality shifts and changes and creates itself based on what we're thinking about. So we each have an individual responsibility to lend our consciousness in ways in which we cultivate an inner world that is loving and positive and compassionate and on our own team as well. And that our outer world, our outer dream, will be a reflection, a a creation of that inner dream that we're creating. So it pays attention to what you're paying attention to. Because uh, what we're creating with our minds, we're creating. 
was really hard for people to get to grips with when you see so much happening out there as to what they can do and what difference it does make. And I think it's a reassurance that if we have that practice and share it and talk to it and live by it, it has an exponential effect. I think the momentum is gathering so far as a collective consciousness to actually change the reality. But I think en masse, we've been dumbed down so much. There's no quick fix. Yeah, there's no quick fix. If we want to go to the fifth principle, uh, which is about the power of now. So the yeah. only place where we can access power is right now. What that's really getting at is all the things we know about mindfulness and being in the present moment and all of that. But what it's really getting at more than anything is what am I doing in this moment? What am I creating in this moment? Here's a thought form that is not going to get me where I want to go. Here's one that is. and But the one that is maybe has some doubt around it. The thought form that's negative is habitual. Which one am I choosing in the moment? I see you over there. And if I take you up and I hold you close to my heart and I look through your eyes, you into being. And the only way that we can be in that process of what's coming up on our screen of awareness and what the hell we're going to do about it in any given moment is by being in the present moment. We absolutely can take the responsibility for ourselves yes. to do that. That's the work of being conscious. That's what we talk about being awake shit comes up and we turn away from it and we focus on the thing that's going to get us where we want to go so what about the second principle we've sort of already touched on it it's a hawaiian word called kala and the uh, translation is there are no limits which means that it is uh it is a limitless universe which means that everything is connected so separation is an illusion which we see, which we is exemplified in nature everything fits together everything is interconnected everything is interdependent uh, as well as the reality of the limitlessness within our own minds yeah. to, again, create what it is that we choose. My teacher, Serge, he says, anything is possible if you can figure out how to do it. And that's the, the limitlessness of the universe and the limit, limitlessness within ourselves. And it's so important that we give ourselves that. Maybe you don't have the means now to do yeah. such and such. But the minute that you say, that is off the table, that's not happening, that is not part of my reality. Because the world is what you think it is, reality will then follow suit. But if you say, that thing is coming into being, I just don't know how right now. I remain in process. I remain in movement. I remain in a sense of something creating itself in the future. And it just keeps the door open. It's when we, we use our mind and we block things and we, and we concretize things where we can't fight with that reality because it becomes the reality, it becomes the rule that gets mirrored back to us. It's a default mechanism, you know, worst case scenario. And I always say, what about the best case scenario? What if it was good? If anyone takes away anything from this interview, how about these three words? Expect the best. What yeah. if you spent the present moment and you were always thinking, expect the best? Because even if you don't get the best, if you expect the best, it's going to be way better than you are right now. Exactly. Because it's just moving in that direction, you know? So that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And why do we do the other one? We do the other one because we're hurt, because we want to protect ourselves, because we want to be hypervigilant so no one laughs at us, so we don't want to be humiliated, so because we don't want to be too big for our boots. These are all the reasons why we limit ourselves. It's vulnerable to have faith. It's an open-hearted, soft thing to have faith. And cynicism, and this is the way it is, and that. That in some way is safer. But the problem is, is that that's the reality that you're creating for yourself. And so uh, and that's what we have to shift and open up to. The vulnerability you speak of, and that was another reason I was so attracted to contact you, is because for a man to step up in this line of work is extremely vulnerable. You're putting your macho-ness on the line, so to speak, as to what is expected. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you don't see it like that, but you know. Well, no, yeah, no, I absolutely, I absolutely do see it like that. There is a new consciousness changing. There is a new consciousness coming online. And that means there is a new man and the new man has an integration of his feminine, which means that he has a sensitivity, yeah. which helps him actually rock the feminine's world. And the new feminine is that she is building the self-esteem to really allow herself to receive and to have, have the self-esteem to know that she is to be shined on like the goddess that she is, then there are these new other 
dynamic, this non-binary thing that's coming up. And what is that? That's a bunch of people at a time when conventional standards and mainstream rules are killing us. And there are these oh, this whole group of people now who say, I don't fit with you. And not only do, not, not, do I not fit with you, but I'm both masculine and feminine, or I'm neither. And who? what else is both masculine and feminine or neither? The divine. And so on some level, you know, that is something else that's coming up because we're good. We got to change. We got to return to the feminine. And that means the masculine has to become more feminine and the feminine needs to become more feminine. I think it's being taken to extreme or maybe I'm old school. There was an incident reported the other day about a pop star, Sam Smith, who was offended by Bob Geldof calling him a he. I kind of get the concept, but we take things too extreme. Mm-hmm. What would your Well, you know, let me say that? this. I would say that there are evangelicals on both sides, which means that there is the conservative evangelicals and then there are the woke evangelicals. I do think that if the goal is us coming together, us realizing that we are actually not separate from each other, that we are part of one organism, that we are interdependent on each other and on the earth which then, again, provides a natural morality that would be easy to follow, then it just becomes about live and let live. It it becomes about trying to understand. I do have a couple trans people in my practice, and they're real. They are going through a process right now, and they are absolutely adhering to a reality that makes sense, that is right for them, that is absolutely legitimate. And like I said, I do think that what is wrong Fundamentally, what is wrong is the polarization, good, bad, black, white, male, female, uh, gay, straight, uh, Trump, Biden, uh, vax, unvax. That polarization and the uh, the architects of reality at the top love it. Love it when we hate each other so we don't look up. Don't look up at them. At the 1,200 billionaires read sociopaths that own 71% of the world's wealth. And that's what's wrong. I love the way that you express that because I think it is an acceptance of everybody and it doesn't matter if you're a lesbian or homosexual yourself or trans or whatever. I understand the non-binary, but I find it's extreme responses to it. So don't call me a he. It's a hard thing to integrate for me, the oh, they or whatever I, I, it is. I hear you. I hear you. All power comes from within and they have the choice to, to say, this is what I want to be called. You know, if we were to take it out of something as extreme, although I don't find it extreme, I find it very normal, as something non-binary, what are we really talking about? We're talking about the man who learned what a man is through a kind of 1950s John Wayne, jerk CEO, unfeeling, you know, all of that, you know, guy, you know, that's what he learned. And he's not getting where he wants to go. His wife isn't happy. He doesn't allow himself to feel his feelings. And uh, he's not good in bed. Yeah. And this guy has to integrate his feminine. He has to yeah. he has to actually take on and we have both Carl Jung, animus anima. We have both yeah. within us. And yeah. so the idea is just bringing those things into balance and, and giving them attention because we all have both polarities in us. And that, that's really the essence of a lot of the Wiccan stuff that you had mentioned earlier that uh, yeah. you know, before we got on the interview. You know, it really is about like those different polarities and how they work together. You know, the God and the goddess. And how they inform each other and how they interact with each other and how they're both necessary and how they're both needed and how they both empower the other to be itself. Yeah. You know. Wow. The other thing going on from that, which is not about non-binary, but it was about sensitivity to things and allowing things to be, was a recent story about Roald Dahl's work. There was threats to edit it because of sensitive people it was funny because I was not in sense that's a bit extreme but I just thought why can you just not let history be his works was his character and why are we adapting everything to make it sensitive and palpable to a few so it kind of goes with that it's just to me I hear you I hear you you know I can only say this, this is actually happening in America, uh, you know, in the state of Florida, there are 176 titles, books that have been in the in the library that are now banned, wow. uh, as well as, as uh, yes, that is really happening. So there are extremes on either side. And I do think 
that the old guard, the conventional ways of being, they're very much under threat. And at least in, in America, they are legislating against women's uh, private parts and all of that. And that is absolutely about that we want control. It's very much there. So even though I understand that there is extreme sensitivity on one side, it is about there are new energies that must be dealt with. They are evolutionary energies. And they are changing the polarized conventional culture in a way that it needs because we can't keep going as is. I do think they're important. They're important conversations. Yeah, they are. It is fascinating how every subject is integrated in the polarization of just of the few things that we've actually brought up. So talking of polar and things like that, it's all about where the energy is, which is actually the third principle in the shamanic practitioner's way, isn't it? Yeah, so the third principle is a Hawaiian word called makia, and the translation is energy flows where attention goes. So what you focus on, what you place your attention on, invites in the creative energies of the universe to bring to you the nearest equivalent of what you place your focus and attention on. So to place your attention on something with consistency is to invite in energies that will bring that thing into being. It's closely tied with the world is what you think it is, but it's it's kind of saying the world is what you consistently think it is. I'm a kind of all or nothing kind of girl, and I find you can probably understand this in writing my book. It's been something that's been fermenting for 13 years, and part of it's been the journey of walking the talk, but also found with the journey, it was letting go of that ego in writing a book to be look at me kind of thing. Whereas I've heard you say with your own journey, you've written the book because it was a part of you and it came out and it just is, which I think is awesome. And that consistency yeah. with my sitting down and writing my book is part of the reason it's not <laughs> coming to the fore. <laughs> well, and speaking of that sensitivity, one of the things that I knew was going to come up is I'm a Caucasian man writing a book about Hawaiian spirituality. And of course, there is definitely a cultural appropriation thing, which I write about a lot in the book. And my answer to that, other than all the things I write in my book, is that a lot of easier ways to make money than to write books on Hawaiian spirituality, which, you know, I wrote it because it was too good not to share. Yeah. It was too good not to share time when, you know, in terms of like the cultural appropriation piece, I absolutely think it is legitimate. We have to be sensitive to it. I also think we are in an, an extinction event, which is true. We are in an extinction yes. event right now, and we do not have time. And if we are going to get back to indigenous mind, meaning back to reverence and interconnection and non-separation with the earth, then to shapeshift, to tune into, to dream with the indigenous shamans, the indigenous cultures, as we think they might have been, and based on what the anthropological material tells us, is very, very helpful because we need it. And we need voices because a lot of the shamans have been killed. And we need people who also want to tune in with that. I won't get it right. You but know, at least uh, you it's know, not um, lost. But, and it's brought, it's, a it's brought a contemporary look at something. And it's not as if you've just seen it once. You spent years and immersed yourself in cultures in Brazil and Bali and Mexico and Nicaragua. So it's really come from within. And I can say with the Māori culture, I mean, although I'm a Pākehā myself, as they call us, an English rose, that... It's the great-grandparents where the medicines have been lost and there's been a couple of generations where they've been indoctrinated with, domesticated is one of the words I've heard you use, and socialised to look at the commercial world and prove themselves. So their traditions, but they're extraordinarily connected to nature, the Māoris, and so it is really important, as you say, to bring that in, and I think instinctively I knew that in bringing the podcast to light because there's so many different facets that people can look at the same thing it's our natural resources our human potential and the earth that we're basically destroying and we need to have reverence for it as well I think you've done all of them there's one I didn't the fourth principle is aloha which you all know from Hawaii and the the translation of that principle is to love is to be happy with so to love is to share happiness. Alo means to share or face to face. Oha means joy. 
and ha means breath. So aloha is about the shared experience of love. Wow. And that is considered a principle, meaning that what we're focusing on, what we're thinking about, what we're doing in the present moment, what we believe our authority is and our truth is informed by that. When people say, well, wait, so energy flows where attention goes. How do I know what to put my attention on? Is aloha present? If love is present, that's what you put your attention on. If love is not present, then you definitely don't put your attention on that. Because what we put our attention on grows and invites in the energies of the universe. So focus on love, you get more love. Focus on I, fear, you get more fear. The body word aroha has the same meaning as well. I'm not sure how they break it down as well. Interesting, hey. Yeah, it's, it's very much of the same uh, quality for sure. But just to say, I can't speak about all cultures because I don't know them, but everyone that I've studied and certainly everyone that I've visited or worked with, the universal principles, even though they wouldn't put them in this language necessarily, yep. the practices, the outlook, the worldview, the fact that they are all egalitarian, the fact that they all uh, believe that everything is of great spirit, the fact that they believe that everything is alive, everything is conscious, that's the same in, in every indigenous culture. And they are looking to nature to guide them which is a fundamental difference between us and them. They are looking for to nature to guide them. We are the children, the stones and the plants and the animals mm. are here before us. And we as children have the mistaken idea that we can become something that we're not. Yeah. We can live separate from each other. And the stone people and the, and the plant people and the animal people are there to bring us the medicine of our folly, if we will tune into them. Absolutely. And I think one of the um, principles you're talking about interdependence, where I think part of our culture is we are dependent on our parents or the organization for a certain period. And we're told that all the lessons we learn are so that we can be independent. So the word interdependent is just not part of our vocabulary. It's not even thought about, is it? And just to say, it doesn't mean that we don't have gifts, it doesn't mean that you don't have charisma or a writing ability or that I don't, you know, but it means that if we just have this much of our eye on the collective, and we use those gifts for that, yep. and if we have some good, some good fortune, and we understand why we have some good fortune, and we pay it forward, and we yep. teach another what we've done, yep. you know, that's what we're talking about. So it's not that we're individual separate selves, we are. But we also have, which is indigenous mind. They knew that they were separate from other people, but they had an equally holistic view in terms of their consciousness. They yeah. were equally right brain and left brain. That's what all the anthropological material really talks about is that, yeah. that they, were, they had a holistic spiritual view as well as a separate view. And we now in the contemporary culture, we're just separate, all separate. And I think you it's know. whole brain because um, I don't know if you come across Dr. Jill Bolte, but she is a neuroscience and she had a stroke. She could feel herself disconnecting and she found herself in a great universe of balls as she called it. And that was the creative side and she couldn't use the left-hand side of her brain and it took her eight years to integrate it. And I think really it is about that whole brain and, and being curious and connecting the two sides. We've been like 95% left brain thinking about the consequences of everything and the worst case scenario, as opposed to the holistic look, not just of the mind, but of everything that is. Yeah. That's right. There's only one mind. And I have heard about that woman, by the way. But yes, there's only one mind. And what does that mean individually? That means when you take an action that undermines yourself, if we are all connected and it's all one, if you do that, we're all stuck with it. You don't attend to your gifts and invest in them we're all stuck with that yes if you hate yourself or are mired in self-loathing we're all stuck with that because there's only one field and that's your contribution and i think you know? for anybody who finds it hard to get their head around the meaning of it you only have to walk into a room and feel the energy of people who are of a lower vibration who are down or whatever compared to a more vibrant person who will actually lift 
the whole thing up as well. So for me, it is the quantum science, it's the energy. And we're really what we're doing with the raising of consciousness is lifting the energy of everybody and in harmony with the earth. And just to say this too, bad stuff does happen. But if we can adopt the outlook and the frame of reference that when the stuff that we don't like happens, it is only the darkness that has come in to usher in the light, that that darkness is directional. There is a lesson there. There is a takeaway there. Now, you might have to pull the lens back to something about karma, something ancestral, something that you weren't even aware of. But we talk about in Hawaiian cosmology, the day starts at nighttime. It is out of the nighttime, out of the darkness, that manifest existence happens. And so it's not about just raising our consciousness so we can all be happy. It's about raising our consciousness that says living a spiritual life is not about alleviating suffering. It's about giving our suffering meaning. Yes, yes. Taking lessons from our suffering. Yep. Mm. Directional lessons that usher in new ways of being and usher in the light. Yeah. Meaning is a really important aspect of it. I know from my own journey, I failed everything drastically and... It's given me so many life lessons. I've got a wardrobe of T-shirts of all different colors and sizes of things that I've gone through in life. But it's resilience. I think, you know, there's one of those huge lessons that comes in failure. And it's like, well, what did you do to consistently make an effort to make things change? Yeah, it is fascinating. Now, there are other aspects of your work. Um, Reiki is one and Cherokee bodywork. Can you tell me a bit more about the Cherokee bodywork and is it very much similar to Reiki? Yeah, well, if you think of indigenous mind, which is uh, animistic, animism means that it is the experience that everything is alive, everything is conscious, everything is sentient, and everything wants to connect. We can do the same thing with our body. And Cherokee bodywork, more than anything else, is about getting quiet with yourself or getting quiet with your client and touching somewhere and saying, What's here? What's the story here? Let this part of your body speak. What is it trying to tell you? If it had a mouth, what would it say? And when you start framing things in that kind of way, all kinds of things emerge. So it, it's really that. It's the, the person who taught me that, he learned it from his grandmother. And the grandmother would lay out on the kitchen table. You know, she put her cigarette out and put her coffee down because <laughs> she was in the mood to do some healing. And you came over and, you know, and she just touched the body and go, what's going on here? And then she'd let it come out. There's more to it than that. But it's a real dialogue with the body. And it's about that there's a story there. In fact, there's a story there that is more real than what your mind tells you that you think you are, you know, because that's where we hold all all our memories, all our unconscious drives. There's so much there, you know. It just reminded me where you talk about illness comes from tension in the body. Right. Yeah, the Hawaiian cosmology is that all illness, mental, spiritual, physical, is born of tension. Uh, Now, that's more than just a massage, because it can be the tension that comes with, I am sure I don't look right. I am sure I'm unlovable. And that lives in the body. You know, I am sure that I'm actually not smart enough to to be what I'm supposed to become. I am sure of that. That's tension. That's a pressure you put on yourself. To live up to something or you label yourself with something, right? Right. And, that, you know, when we do that, it's, it's because that's a wound. We, we learned that through yeah. mistreatment. We learned that through the pains of life. We learned to close down on ourselves. And yet we have a spirit. We have a higher self. We have a spirit connected to the cosmic consciousness that has an agenda for us. And if we follow it, we can feel it. It resonates. We have gifts. We, we move in a certain direction. And when we have wounding that says don't follow it, we get sick. So yes, it's about the tension, even the tension from our own goodness, the tension from our gifts, the tension from uh, against what we are to become, the tension against our own pleasure. Right. Are we deserving of it? That kind of thing, you mean? Sure. Well, so another facet of your work is with plant medicine and ayahuasca. And I've heard you talk about ways to use it as an inroad because it's becoming very fashionable in America now to go and have an ayahuasca experience as a kind of quick fix but I've heard you talk of it to integrate it as part of the journey and I think one of the important things is not only with your own journey we all are on a journey and nothing is a quick fix and 
again, it's about shedding light on something and knowing that you have to keep working on it. Am I right? There was a time in my life early on when I was very called to do ayahuasca. I was very called not to go do it in the town over. I went to Brazil and spent weeks there and did it. It was truly, for me, as much about going to the rainforest alone. That was just as terrifying as, as the ayahuasca was for me personally. It was an opener. I find that generally, if there is not therapeutic work accompanying the plant medicine, they yeah. become spiritual weekends they become yeah. spiritual adventures they yeah. become you know and all of that even if you have a real cosmic experience it's not necessarily lasting sometimes it is i don't want I, I don't want to say that too but it really is about being in a therapeutic process and so often just in my in my own work with clients because that, that's what i do i do i do counseling work more than anything else you know we we we're at it for a while and we're looking at this problem from all sides and we're understanding it and we're knowing why it's there, and we're understanding how we get stuck with it, but something just isn't giving. There's just something that, why is this still? And that's a really good candidate for plant medicine, because plant medicine, particularly the, the one that I, I really know well is psilocybin, that is about destabilizing the default network in the brain, the thing that we always come back to, Yep. you know, and psilocybin, it, it just destables that enough to where we're suggestible to new ways of being and new ideas and, and that sort of thing. So I did do ayahuasca. I have no training in, nor would I, because I don't think it's culturally appropriate because that's really about the spirits of the plants. It's just nothing I'm interested in playing with. I did do, do training in that. And 5% of it was about the psilocybin and 95% of it was about transpersonal psychology and all the, uh, the intake, the outtake, what we're getting at, because the medicine just does its thing. The medicine's way cleverer than I am. I can't add anything to that, but yeah. it's about the, the process. And I do think that it's been used really recreationally. And I think that can be fun, but real thoughtfulness and real process, it can really be used to open things up in people. Yeah. Yeah. So just be wary of what you're doing. Cause I mean, what I'm getting from what you say, it can be an addictive thing. As you say, you know, you can go on one retreat one weekend and the next month and the next month and forget that actually you have to do some work in between yourself in order to progress really as opposed well, to sure sure just to split hairs they're not addictive substances that's very important to say but you can have the experience of wanting to get high you know yeah. or have peak experiences that can be a rush in, and, and addictive and all of that but this, the substances themselves are not actually addictive yeah, yeah that's what i meant but thank you for clarifying it <laughs> Another good reason for my wanting to talk to you is this, because you've gone from a Broadway actor to becoming a shamanic practitioner and author and spiritual counsellor. But there was a journey, wasn't there, and how you ended up at Maui. So could you enlighten them as to what your experience was? Because it's not an everyday one, was it? It's not an everyday one. You know, I was an actor for many, it feels like a, just a different life. But when you think of acting, you can just imagine you learn the lines, you learn the blocking, you hope for inspiration to come through. And I was doing that since I was a little kid. And the context for it for my parents was, this kid is clearly an actor because you know, things are coming through. And so I got on that path and that felt right. And it was a real precursor to counseling because when you read a script, you read and you go, what kind of person would act that way? What kind of person would say that? And that was very helpful in just in terms of the exact same skill set now. So the fundamental qualities of it are very similar to the work that I'm doing now. I was relatively successful, but this healing stuff was always on the side and it kept taking up more space. And then I had the terrifying uh, realization when I was employed, which is what every actor wants, that I couldn't wait for it to be over so I could go be spiritual and go do the healing stuff again. And that was terrifying because I knew that my other, other actor friends did not feel that way. Listening that, to something you were saying yeah. the other day, and I kind of took off it. It's a bit like being, as an actor, this is just my perception, of yeah, yeah. you being directed, whereas you're wanting to direct yourself and work instinctively. Well, to go back to the sixth principle of Huna, all power comes from within, which is where I really live there now. I've really followed my own inner authority first and foremost. And, you know, that life is, unless you really are, are someone who, you know, can call their own shots, which is a percent of a percent of a percent, someone else is calling you the shots in your yeah. life. That's absolutely yeah. perfect too. It was always the artistry that attracted me. But what I found was 
that I had to do with show business, which was something that, you know, I had little interest in. But the artistry was, and still does, still does um, really light me up, you know, when I see it. But the show business part is not my thing. And in some ways, follows the same polarized, conventional, mainstream culture of the overculture that I'm talking about that we all need to pull away from. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You knew most no, of you it ahead, kind of instinctively, but then you had the experience on the volcano, didn't you? Yeah, and I mean, at that point, I had already I'd been to Brazil. I'd been I'd been in many different places uh, working with shamans, but it was always, but I'm not going to give up acting. And then, yeah, on the volcano, which I can see from my window right now, I had a real visitation, a really peak spiritual experience, which I read about in the book, and I was told it's time to stop and do this full time, and. and it was within a, a week of that experience that I called my agents in New York and said, don't call, send me out anymore. And I got an office in New York City and, you know, asked my father-in-law for $3,000 for the down payment. This is now 20 years ago and really, really changed my life. Yeah. yeah. Was it scary? Yeah. Well, I, how you know anything is soul material is that there's risk. There's risk and it requires faith. It's soul material, you know, so of course it was scary. So I just want to let the listeners know, but I will definitely put it in the show notes, that your book is called The Shaman's Mind, Puna Wisdom to Change Your Life. So I'll put links in it and to your website and everything else like that. So while we're talking books, I always round off my interviews with a few questions. So has there been a book and or a person that has influenced you in your life? And if so, how? Oh, gosh. Um... There are two that come to mind. Serge King, uh, who is a wonderful author and teacher on the Big Island, and who Huna really comes from, which are probably butchered a little bit, but he was still nice enough to be okay with my writing it. Uh, he's really great. I mean, I think he's mid-80s now, and I remember I watched him teach all day, and then the next day he came back in in the morning, and he said, how was everyone's night? He said, I, I watched a documentary, but I put it in Portuguese. I wanted to practice my Portuguese and translated the whole thing with him for my wife. Like, he's just... The most awake, erudite person. He's really, really, really amazing. So uh, he's really great. And he's got wonderful books too. I guess the other one spiritually is Carolyn Mace. Carolyn Mace, M-Y-S-S. I really cut my teeth on Carolyn Mace. She's very down to earth. There's a lot of material out there, a lot of books, a lot of podcasts and all that. But she was probably one of my first, you know, major kind of influences. Yeah. Is there a quote or a saying that keeps you inspired that you hold on to? Stop giving a shit what anyone thinks. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, great. And talking of shit, what do you do when you're in a funk? How do you lift yourself out of the funk? Um, how do I lift myself out of a funk? Um, well, first of all, I let myself feel the feelings because the feelings are happening for a reason. Yeah. The feelings yeah. are happening for a reason. So that's the first thing I do is I probably inquire and say, what is this about? Then I probably ask for reassurance because it's probably some version of that. Uh, maybe I'm not okay, you know, and so I'll ask a loved one to tell me that I am. And someone's got to do it, Philippa, but I do live on Maui, so I go to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Your boo shucks to you. <laughs> My final question is, if I could be your fairy godmother and grant you one wish in the world, what would it be and why? Um, that uh, That everyone do their part. That everyone just do their part. That's it. If everyone just did their part, we'd fix everything. Yeah. And so it's that. And to take the burden off the people who are doing everyone and so many other people's part, yes. you know, uh, because they're not. But that more than anything else. And your part is not become an environmental activist or donate millions of dollars to. Your part is just, are you loving in the present moment? Are you conscious? Are you awake? Are you contributing love into the world? Are you being kind? It's that. Are you really not taking more than you need? Yeah, I think that's really, really important because in today's society, there is so much going on and there is so much in the spiritual world that talks about your purpose and that you need to be doing something to save the world from something. And this is another reason that I thought you'd just be awesome is because it's actually really simple if we focus on ourselves and the basic principles. We can't save other people. We need to start with ourselves, basically, and be a shining example of it. If you are among the walking well, you give people something to emulate. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the people who are lost, they go, what's he having? Yep. Yes. Yep. What's he having? And then if you are that and you ask that question and you help, even better. And and the spirits love that. Fantastic. Spirits love that. So do you have any final words you wish to share? Take care of yourselves. Think about what it is that you think you could be. Make it twice as good. And that's probably appropriate. That's probably in the ballpark. Awesome. Fantastic. Thanks so much for your time, Jonathan. It's been an absolute pleasure. Take care. You're welcome. Love her. Bye-bye. Aroha. I just love the simplicity of Jonathan's approach. If you want to dive deeper, he's holding an online workshop called Rewilding Wild Nature, True Nature on Saturday the 25th of March. It's a fabulous opportunity for you to ditch the dogma and connect to the creativity of your soul. I, for one, am definitely signing up. There's a link in the show notes for you to do the same. And don't forget, he's also available for spiritual counselling. Keep the prominent lessons from today's interview front of mind. Expect the best, stop giving a shit what anyone thinks, and just do your part. Ask yourself if you're living in the present moment. Are you conscious? Are you awake? Are you contributing love into the world? Are you being kind? Are you taking more than you need? If you're among the walking well, you give people something to emulate. There's a resume of all seven principles in the show notes. Next month, I'm thrilled to bring you an interview with Bruce Lipton, an eminent stem cell biologist and pioneer in the field of epigenetics. I'll be asking Bruce to expand on the first principle that the world is what we think it is, as his work focuses on how our biology is affected by our belief and that we are not victims of our genes and have the power to influence change using the conscious mind. Make sure you follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. All feedback and reviews are much appreciated, as are your ideas for a subject or guest you'd like me to consider. Just email me on info at So until next month, take care of yourselves, think about what you could be and make it twice as good. Dig deep, Open your mind to a world of possibilities. Live life with a generous heart. Be the change you want to see in the world and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your potential. 